Good morning, it's DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. So, game number one is in the books, and the Utah Jazz beat the Oklahoma City Thunder. Was it pretty? Yes, because they won. All right. I know, the glasses have empty, it wasn't pretty. Mike Conley was one for 16. They gave up 34 points in the second quarter, and the Jazz trailed after three quarters, and you weren't sure you wanted to watch the rest of the NBA season. That's because you're a fan and you're all the way in. And trust me, the media appreciates the fact that you're all the way in and that you're listening at 6 a.m. But at the end of the day, they won. I had an interesting conversation with people on the Jazz basketball side before the game. PK and I were talking yesterday about the Jazz have to start faster and need to be 12-8. and eight. And the reaction I got back was, you know, I, I get why you say that. And I want to tell you you're wrong. But... And this team's made a lot of changes and expect them to just hit the ground running. And I got to tell you, there are plenty of people, if you're obsessing about the Jazz defensively early in the year, and the one thing I learned is so are people inside the Jazz organization. But I thought they answered a lot of those questions. You know, it's only one night and you have to get better because no matter who you are and how well you play in October, it's not going to be good enough in May. Everybody's got to get better. Even the Warriors, when they're loaded like they were the last few years, have got to get better. So... I think the way you look at this is Mike Conley was one for 16, and he said after the game, I'd I'd bet on me not doing that again. Yeah, I would bet on that too. One for 16 is pretty rough. And yet they won. And yes, they gave up a 34-point quarter, but they won. So better to learn in a win than have to learn from a home loss to a team that a lot of people think is going to miss the playoffs. You know, you're going to have to be better. You're going to play better teams, and you have to all go out on the road. But... All you can do night one is win the first game, and they did it. And Donovan Mitchell was off the charts. And just as Mike Conley probably won't go one for 16, Donovan Mitchell probably isn't going to shoot 65% this year. But 32 points and 12 boards, and he does it while making 14 of his 22 shots, man, he got to the rim a lot. Teams are going to have to figure out how to keep him away from the rim. They're just going to have to do that. And they may give something else up. And, you know, the Jazz, Conley didn't shoot well, but the Jazz as a group didn't shoot well from three. Uh, Six of 24. Royce O'Neal made both of his threes. But most of the other guys struggled. You know, uh, Mitchell was only one for three. Ingles was one for four. Bogdanovich was one for five. And Conley was 0 for six. They're going to nicely shoot it better. They're going to nicely shoot it better than that. But for all the stress about the defense, at the end of the night, they gave up 95 points. And Quinn Snyder, as you'll hear in the best of the postgame show, you know, didn't like their transition defense, especially for stretches in the first half, uh, but thought they got better defending some things over the course of a game. Hey, if you're, you got veterans who can learn as they go along, this will get better. It wasn't always pretty in, in night one, but they got out of there with a win. And I say if they get through these first 20 games and they're 12-8, and eight, declare victory and move on. All right. We've declared victory. We are moving on. We're going to talk a little football next. I do believe we need to get some college football this morning. And in addition to that, we got the Best of the Jazz postgame show coming up later this hour. So stay with us. You'll hear from Jazz players and head coach Quinn Snyder. Right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
Join us, DJ and PK, Friday from 7 to 10 a.m. at Murdoch Chevrolet, 2375 South, 625 West in Woods Cross. We'll be there all morning long. DJ and PK, it is time to talk a little college football now with Tim Brando, play-by-play broadcaster for Fox Sports. He's going to be calling the Cal-Utah game on Saturday. Tim, good morning. Good morning, fellas. How you doing? It's good to be chatting with you. Can't wait to get to the... As Bino Cook used to say, the, the mountain tide zone. Everybody forgets the mountain tide zone. <laughs> Can't wait to get there. <laughs> All right, so you get to the mountain time zone, but the problem is uh, Cal's starting quarterback isn't going to be playing in the mountain time zone. Their backup quarterback might not be playing in the mountain time zone. Large chunks of their offensive line are injured and will not be playing in the mountain time zone. So you don't want to go into a game thinking you know everything that's going to happen because you know you might get crossed up. But right now, do you really think you're going to get crossed up? Uh, you know, t- t- wounded teams are dangerous. You know, wounded bears are dangerous, right? Um, I see what you did there. Time of year, crazy things happen too. And with what's lying ahead for Utah, you know, that's the other issue. We've seen this happen before in college football. When you've got, um, you know, a game as, as important as the game with Washington at Washington lying ahead, uh, who's also you know, having a disappointing season. Uh, last week was a game they really needed. You know, you just have to live in the here and now, you know, and, and uh, Utah's been pretty good about that uh, through the years. Kyle Whittingham has done about as good a job as any coach in the country at, um, at keeping his team focused. Now, they've struggled at the Coliseum. I think we all know that. That's That's been the speed bump that um, they've not been able to get past. But other than that... Uh, they've been they've been pretty focused and uh, a team that you could um, you could count on. But this is one of those classic traps. I mean, it is a because of all the injuries with Cal, because they're coming off the loss with Oregon State. You know, if you begin to believe the tea leaves. You know, today's millennial cohort and and college athletics uh, is such. I mean, the coaches can talk a lot about staying focused and you know not hearing the noise, but I mean. You know, they can pick up a phone and get any piece of information they want, and uh, Cal just went belly up to Oregon State, okay? I mean, that is about as bad as it gets. So, you know, Utah's got to, you know, it sounds it sounds cliche, but it's true. They, they've got to find a way to to not read tea leaves and, and, and not have the noise get in the way of, of their heads and get in the way of their thinking uh, in preparation of this game, right? They're pretty good about it. They're probably better than just about, not all, but most uh, teams in college football uh, at doing that. But that's, I think that's the concern. That and obviously the, the the health of Tyler Huntley, too. You know, is is he good to go? If he is good to go, uh, you know, how, yeah, how much strength will he have? Uh, can he play at 100%? Probably not. Uh, how effective will he be if he's at 75, 80%? We don't know. So going big picture, 
the Pac-12, I want to know what you think of where they stand. And I think the dream scenario at this point is that you have two 11-1 teams playing each other for the Pac-12 title, and that's obviously Oregon and Utah. Oregon with the Uh loss to Auburn early, and then also Utah with its loss uh, to SC. And I think that both teams would be in the, if not in, but close to the top 10 if if that scenario plays out that way. And there's still work to be done obviously but just play with me here for a second what do you think the winner would be able to get as far as some national respect with regard to the playoff whoever wins that game would be 12 and 1 yeah you're not gonna gonna like hearing this but but Oregon will get more love than than Utah uh because because Oregon did play that game and people remember that that game could have very you know they controlled that game with Auburn you know, for three, three and a half quarters, really, they control the game with Auburn. You know, we live in a world of images and impressions, as my friend Spencer Tillman likes to say. Uh, and I think the image and impression that Oregon has left is an ability to come from behind and win on the road, like they did a week ago, and, and they really did outplay and probably deserve to win, but did not win that Auburn game. Uh, Utah does not have that same cachet. But uh, I... I, I, I I will tell you that the respect value for Kyle Whittingham is through the roof. Um, I'm sure you guys have been watching some of the big noon kickoff, and you've heard how many great things Urban Myers had to say about Kyle. Uh, the schedule for Utah just does not stack up as well uh, as Oregon's does, uh, non-conference, and, and I think that that's part of why Oregon is in a better position that, than Utah. But as a whole the Pac-12 is just in trouble. Uh, and it's not, you know, it's just the way the thing is built. The, the college football playoff is built for the pure playoff privilege. Uh, and those are brand-name teams, and all of those name, brand-name teams right now are are east of the Red River. Uh, they're, they're just not out west at this stage. Uh, and every time that the Pac-12 has been in a position to, to elevate itself and put itself in a good position, uh... And this was true when Cal had that great run at the beginning of the year. Boom. Uh, they took a, uh, a dive, and then they got hurt, and more things happened to them. Uh, Washington has been in a position more than a couple of times, and for whatever reason just could not get over the hop. You know, they are, without question, the most disappointing uh, team, I think, this year in the Pac-12. Most people thought that, particularly with Eason, they would get so much accomplished, and they just haven't. And frankly, I saw them against Arizona. It's not really been his fault. I mean, Easton's played well. He's had a lot of drop balls, and he's had a lot of uh, uh, receivers that just haven't gotten a lot of separation. You know, when I look at when I look at your team, when I look at um, Utah, this is a classic Utah team. You know, a team that thrives on uh, consistent defense, but an offense that's uh, opportunistic. And uh, it's probably better than people realize. And when Huntley's right, uh, can get a lot done. Um, but step number one is to win this game and, to, as you said, be a one-loss team going in. I think it would be certainly to the benefit of the Pac-12 if both of those teams were one-loss teams because some teams out there could stuff their toes between now and then. Um, but I just don't know how precipitous a fall any of the teams that we're talking about that are in front of you, you're going to have. 
you know, if Alabama happens to lose and, you know, their quarterback's nicked up, is not going to play, uh, at least until the LSU game, you know, they don't drop more than three or four spots when they lose. Um, and, and with the kind of year Joe Burrow's having, kind of probably the same story with them, too. So it just makes the task at hand for any of the schools in the Pac-12 far more difficult. There are two undefeated teams in the SEC, and there are three undefeated teams in the Big Ten, even though Wisconsin got lost. They had four there for a, right. for a little while. Do you think those team, those conferences are going to have undefeated champions? Are they going to beat each other up? And if so, will that open the door from for two teams from either of those conferences to get in? Yeah, I, you know, there, look, um, there's these teams all have to play one another, and yeah, they can all lose. And 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 this is the thing that's so screwed up about the narrative, uh, fellas, is that when we started the season, what was the narrative? The narrative was it's Clemson, Alabama, and then everybody else. Correct? That's what it was. I mean, you've watched the first uh, nine weeks of the season. Would you not say that there are at least, oh gosh, nine or ten teams that could say, "What about us?" Yeah. in the playoff. Well, would, you, would you say that? Yeah, I think you guys certainly got to go Ohio State, Oklahoma, LSU, off the top of my head right there. Well, and, and, and you know, you can't rule out Georgia because they still have sure. Florida uh, to play, and they got Auburn to play, and they've got an SEC championship. As bad as they look, they're still in the hunt. I mean, there are a lot of teams that are still in the hunt yeah. in, in all of these conferences. Penn State uh, is is – is is right there and and look if Wisconsin even with a loss, I mean let's say they they pull off a miracle and beat Ohio State, do they launch back into the conversation with one loss? I'd suggest yeah they would. So what I'm saying is, there are so many more teams this year that can say you know what we we deserve a chance to be in the playoff than we had this time last year. That if we did expand to eight teams, we'd have a hell of a conversation. We would be talking about a sport that's riding high and scorching hot with interest because there are that many teams this year that look good enough that, uh, you know, the team that's right now in the eighth position, if they, if they beat the number one team, we wouldn't be shocked. But that's, that's sort of the point. Right now, I kind of feel like you can count on Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, and after that, I don't think you can count on anybody. Not even Clemson? You know, even Clemson. Um, you know, they're undefeated, but who have they beaten? And uh, Trevor Lawrence has thrown twice as many interceptions this year as he did a year ago. And they're not going to play anybody until they get into the playoffs that's any good. They're not, there's, no one, there's no one in the ACC that they can play in their title game that would be nearly as good as either Utah or Washington. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we've got just so much more out there. To, to discuss with regard to uh, quality of teams, uh, the array of, of, of teams that are out there that could make a move between now and the first weekend in December championship Saturday, it, it sort of boggles the mind. But this is, again, where, and if, if you've seen any of my, my um, material on Twitter that I put out on Sundays, my on Brandos, you know, teams like Baylor and uh, Minnesota are undefeated and no one knows anything about them. And they're really good. Baylor is outstanding. I saw them win at Oklahoma State last week. Uh, Charlie Brewer is an outstanding quarterback. He's got two, four, three, five, four, four receivers on either side, uh, and a running back in Jermichael Hasty who is nasty. I mean, nasty. Uh, but no one knows, and no one really cares. 
because they're not a part of the pure playoff privilege. Brand names in this pathetic process that we call the college football playoff, they are the ones carrying the weight. And the only thing that matters is who's in. If the discussion of college football every week during the regular season is about who are the top four teams. Well, we don't have top four teams. We have about a top eight or nine teams, maybe ten this year. But that's not the conversation. We have dumbed down the regular season. We have turned uh, what should be a sport where we celebrate uh, magnificent stories of teams with turnarounds like Baylor's from mere death penalty conversation in uh, 2016 to an undefeated team with a great coach that everybody is uh, looking at, including several NFL teams, and no one in college football that covers it on a regular basis wants to cover it. We didn't have a problem covering their scandal a few years ago, but apparently we can't cover a team that is in the part of is is part of a great reclamation project like like Baylor. And you know what PJ Fleck's doing at Minnesota is pretty special too. Uh, but again, we we dust that under the rug because they're not part of the big bad burly brand names of college football that are part of this what I call Sunbelt Invitational every year. Clemson, Alabama, just write them in. And then who wants to join them? And, and it'll more than likely be Oklahoma and Ohio State, and that's it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what everybody – that's that's what the entire college football regular season narrative has become. And as someone that loves the sport and has covered it for four decades, I think it's reprehensible. So then, Tim, Oregon, if it goes 12-1, and one, could get aced out by four undefeateds. If Utah were to go 12-1, and one, it likely would obviously get aced out by undefeateds and some power brand name with only one loss. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, my, that's the thing. I, 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 don't, I, don't think that, um, I don't think that the Pac-12 can absorb uh, one-loss teams as its champion when – you know, Alabama could lose to LSU. And, and again, uh, trust me when I tell you, LSU beats Alabama and Tuscaloosa. Let's say it's a close game. Most believe that it would be. All right. Uh, let's say they win the game by a touchdown or less. And Alabama comes back and beats Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Well, Auburn beat uh, – they beat Oregon. Auburn beat Oregon. Uh and Alabama would have beaten Auburn in a rebound game in the Iron Bowl. And, uh, you know, so they don't play in the uh, – this has happened before. Uh, Auburn beat Alabama, you might recall, a couple of years ago. Didn't keep them out of the playoff because they only dropped to four in the playoff. They still got in. So schools like Alabama don't drop six, seven spots when they lose. They, they drop two or three spots. And when you play a team like Auburn and you're in the SEC and you have teams that you're playing that uh, have a better power rating than, than the teams you're playing in the other conferences like the Pac-12, these, these are the things that come your way. These are the uh, uh, political favors, if you want to call them that, that, that come your way. Georgia could find its way back in the hunt because of who they play. They've got the border war next week with, with Florida, uh, and then they play – Auburn and the longest-standing Southern rivalry, and then you know they could still represent the East in the SEC championship. So the path for those teams is just so much easier, even with a loss, than the Pac-12s could be, and that's a that's just a real problem. 
Tim Brando joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, there's multiple rumors flying around Pac-12 media types about Urban Meyer getting a coaching job and about Chip Kelly maybe getting a different coaching job. Have you heard any of those? Do you believe any of those? What do you expect? I don't think that Urban is going to take, for instance, the USC job. If there's another one out there other than that, uh, let me know. I think there was a story surfacing yesterday on the Internet about Florida State. Um that I heard a little bit about late in the day. I don't see Urban doing the USC thing. I just don't. Um, that that place is a dumpster fire with regard to its organization, uh, its uh, lack of leadership uh, in administration. Um, you know, an out, another outgoing big name alumni uh, um, athletic director gone. Uh, what direction is the president going to go, or athletic director going to go? Is it? You know, most of the time, I think if you're a head coach, you want to know who your AD is going to be before you go out there. As I watch um, our big noon kickoff, and I don't know how you guys feel or if you've watched much of the show, but he looks to me like he's having a hell of a lot of fun. And I have spoken to him a couple of times, and he is having a great deal of fun, a lot of energy there. I think one of the reasons uh, they're going to Columbus this week is because uh, at his urgency. He'd like to see that show become a two-hour show instead of a one-hour show. He's publicly stated that. Uh, I'm not saying he won't coach again, but if he does coach again, it's got to be a place where not only does he uh, believe in the direction of the university, but also knows he's got a great chance of winning a national championship. And uh, there aren't many places like that. You're limiting the opportunities quite a bit when you start talking about that kind of commitment. Um, so I'm not necessarily buying all that. Uh, a move by Chip Kelly makes sense to me because he's not gotten what he needed from UCLA. Whatever whatever he felt was promised, uh, they have not come through on. And that's a problem. Uh, so I could see him making a move. That, that, that one I can buy. But uh, Urban immediately going in, uh, and especially to a school out west, uh, I just don't see the fit right now. To me, USC would be uh, the the most likely, but not with their uh, their administration uh, in the current uh, position that it's in. They're they're like a rudderless ship right now in terms of direction. So I don't see it. Tim, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, and we'll watch you on the uh, Cal Utah game on Saturday. Thank you. I'm warming up on my Polynesian phonetics right <laughs> yeah, now. Better. <laughs> that entire offensive and defensive front, right? Yep, yep, so warming yep. up on it as we speak. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Nice chatting with you guys. Always is good. Take care. Bye-bye. There's Tim Brando. We love having him on. We usually have him on a couple times every season. When we come back, we switch gears from college football to the NBA. The best of the Jazz postgame show. The Jazz and the Thunder coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network.
Good morning, it's DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. As win their opener at home, they knock off the Thunder 100-95 with a big fourth quarter. 32-21 in the fourth with the game on the line. 32 is a good number offensively, 21 is a good number defensively. That was a really good quarter with the game on the line. Uh, Royce O'Neal played really well, did some good things. Emmanuel Moody gave him a, a, uh, gave him a lift off the bench. Who else played well? Quinn Snyder gets into that. Here's the best of the postgame show. Your Jazz recap on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. The Jazz win their opening night matchup with the Oklahoma City Thunder 100 to 95. They were led by just an extra special night from Donovan Mitchell, who was incredible. 14 of 22 from the field, 32 points, and a career-high 12 rebounds. And everybody was a little worried about the defense. The defense looked very good last night for the Utah Jazz. Uh, The Thunder shot only 38.6% from the field. Let's take you inside the locker room. We'll get you player sound from nearly everybody. Busy night last night on the postgame show, but let's get things started with Quinn Snyder at the podium. Contributions, some some of the, you know, George Yang comes in and plays three minutes, and it's three really good minutes. Um, Boyan comes out, and you know, him fighting through that ankle and giving us, you know, some big buckets. And Emmanuel with with Mike in foul trouble, um, again another guy that just came through for us. Donovan obviously was able to to create and put pressure on the rim. And I thought Rudy also, you know, Rudy gave himself up a large portion of the game and defended like we know he's capable of doing. So I think it's just a very, very good win for this group. In addition to 32 points, Donovan had 12 mm-hmm. rebounds, seven in the fourth quarter. How, how critical was that to his success on offense, just crashing the boards like that? Well, I think he, he's, you know, since since he got back from the summer um, and really last spring, uh, de- defense has been something that, that he's really um, both taken personally and, and emphasized and competed. And I think that the, the rebounds, you know, a couple of them were offensive, obviously, that were just, you know, that, those were the gutsy plays. But um, I thought on the defensive glass, too, he's, his, his help side defense and his rotations – so he's, he's much improved right now defensively because he's really he's demanding it of himself and uh, and he's competing. David James, you said in the shoot around you didn't want to judge the team too much by the final number of points mm-hmm. allowed because that can be misleading if guys missing open shots. No, I said you? on everything, yeah. not just defense. Ninety five is a good number, but what did you think of the defense aside from just the number? Um, you know, I, I always like to watch the tape. You know, because it, it just shows certain things. But the feeling I that I had during the game was the transition defense in the first half was not good, um, and they got to the rim. Um, some of that was, you know, they had numbers, but I thought the second half, um, particularly the fourth quarter, you know, we made it harder for them. And you know, I, I, we were Rudy was really good at the rim when we could get set. He made everything hard. Julie. What did you see as the differences in Boyan's play um, tonight, especially at the beginning versus uh, in the preseason games, and also kind of what were your thoughts when he went down? Well, I was, you know, sick to my stomach when he when he went down. But he, you know, he he's been playing this game a long time, and he's played in so many big games, and um, 
he's a clutch player. He's a confident player, and you know that's you know those are, those are some of the things that, that you know we liked about him. Um, he, he's also just a, he's a he's a competitor. He's a tremendous competitor. So to me, as as significant as some of the the buckets that he got, you know, in the second half, which were big buckets, was the fact that. You know, he came out ready to go in the third quarter, and, and obviously he wasn't 100%. And uh, you know, that's that's a competitor. So, whatever whether he makes or misses, you know, it's same thing with Mike. You know, I, I, Mike obviously didn't have a typical shooting night, and but he found a way to impact the game defensively. And you know, for our group, just understanding that, that the importance of that, um, you know, I think is good. Quinn, what did you see from Emmanuel Moutier tonight? And I guess, how does that reflect the work you've been doing with him uh, since you've signed him? Well, he, he, he's been doing the work, you know, and, and you know, our, our whole staff, um, you know, has, has dug in on him. And uh, Brian Bailey, Jeff Watkinson, um, it, it's, it's, I told him, I think it was yesterday, that he's, you know, he had... The, the little injury and he couldn't play for about a week right when he was kind of finding his way and you know it was a setback but just a microcosm of what you know I think he's committed to is that there's going to be setbacks there's going to be difficult moments and you know he pushed through and you could tell he'll there's other you know he'll continue to get better but um, we had guys compete that that to me and Emmanuel competed and he defended. He tried to do everything um, that we're asking him to do. And that's, I mean, frankly, that's all that I would ask of him. So it was, it was good to see him have, um, be rewarded for, I think, the mindset that he's cultivating. question. Down six going to the fourth quarter and you win that final quarter, 32-21. What changed there to, to win the game? Well, I think there's times in every game where it's not about, you know, a coverage or a play. Um, you know, it's collectively about guys, you know, being determined. And I thought we were persistent. You know, we were just persistent every possession um, and tried to work. And, you know, we got, we got better guarding certain things as the game went on. Um, and that, that's a credit to our guys just competing and, and doing it collectively. We got more connected. That was Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder coming off his team's 100-95 to win over the Oklahoma City Thunder. And typical Quinn Snyder talking about defense a lot. Mike Conley might have struggled 1 of 16 from the field for uh, just had five points, and uh, two of those came late on a couple of clutch uh, free throws. But uh, Coach Snyder, proud of the impact he was able to make defensively. Speaking of Mike Conley, let's let you hear his postgame comments. Doing a lot of shots out, you know, in the paint. They all felt good, but they were short, so I was, you know, might have been too excited for the first game or something. But um, if I'm a betting man, I, I probably won't do that again. So. And, and then conversely, what was your mentality as you stepped to the line for those uh, two big free throws? Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a big believer in just getting the rhythm, and you know, I want that to carry over to the next game. You know, I wanted to get to the free throw line somehow and um, knock down, knock down a couple, and um, you know, hear the crowd, you know, still standing on their feet and, and cheering for us was was big so you know uh, I'm a confidence guy I'm still confident and 
I'm looking forward to the next one. Quinn pointed out that you were able to make an impact on the defensive end. What did you kind of read from their offense that allowed you to, to have an impact on that side of the floor? Uh, you know, well, they, they do a good job of penetrating and getting to the paint, you know, with those three guards out there. And, um, you know, my job then just became trying to, to, you know, get into Chris Paul's legs, just make it a tough night for him, be physical. and. Um, same with Shea and, and, and the rest of the guys. So, um, you know, I didn't want to just be out there missing shots. I wanted to be out there helping the team as best I can. And, and I just tried to try to be that for the team tonight. What did you think of Emmanuel's performance tonight? Uh, Easy E was good tonight, man. He, he was really good. You know, that's, that's what we talked about a lot in preseason was him just trying to get downhill. He's a big body guard and can finish over big guys, can finish over little guys. And um, we need that from him. You know, when he comes in the game, um, you know, he's got to be aggressive. He's got to be, you know, looking to, to make plays. And, um, and I think he did a great job. You've talked about how this offense can be conducive to helping a point guard kind of find the rhythm and, and find what you need to do early and often. What is it about this offense that has helped you guys uh, kind of have production in seeing the floor the right way and making it? Well, I think, you know, number one, it's, it's, it's really a lot, of, a lot of misdirection, a lot of, you know, uh, detailed, you know, things in the plays. And um, it's all reads, really. And, and once you learn all the reads um, and you get more familiar with it, you feel more comfortable when you get out there. And, and tonight, like, we got a lot of great looks. You know, we got a lot of great looks. And, and to still win the game um, was awesome. So I think it's something that, that we can build on. You know, I think our defense was better. And that's what we cared about more than anything. So um, offensively, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll click. What was the key defensively as a group to getting control of this game there in that fourth quarter? Um, well, I thought, you know, just handling the pick and roll, especially with Chris and, and, and Gallinari in it, uh, I thought we did a good job adjusting and switching and um, knowing when to switch, knowing, you know, just communicating. Um, and guys were just competing. You know, guys were competing, trying to win the game. And, you know, we knew it wasn't pretty, but, you know, we got to find a way to win, just do whatever it takes. What's it like being in this building as a member of the home team? And just how different is that? That's awesome. It's awesome. Like, those last two free throws, just, you know, <laughs> That, that summed up my night, you know, for everything. And, and I'm going to go home a happy man. Guys, that's Mike Conley. Let's go back to you. That was Mike Conley, just five points in his Jazz debut. He did have five assists, struggled from the field, his worst shooting night of his career, one of 16. Let's go from that to somebody who had a great shooting night, Royce O'Neal in the starting lineup for the Jazz. He was 6 of 6, 14 points. He grabbed five boards and had this to say after the game. Just out, get steals, deflections, stuff like that. Well, so I was talking to Donovan, and he was calling you out, kind of giving you a hard time about the height thing. He said yeah. he, you're, you're two inches shorter as well, but it's still not affecting anything. <laughs> nah, I mean, I think I'm still 6'6". Six, six. I was measured, but, you know, I take whatever height it is, you know. But, you know, Donovan's still shorter than me. He's 6'1", so. But he had that awesome dunk, too. He did. So, we'll give him that. Regular season action to have clutch moments late in the game. You feel that your team was able to rise, you know, with big plays and the biggest moments. What are the things that that does for a team early in the season? Uh, it just shows how composed we are. You know, everybody knows it's a long game. Uh, teams go on runs, so we just got to stick with each other. You know, no matter what, you know, just play to the end. With Mike, the shot wasn't falling tonight. He was one out of 16, but it seemed like he still found other ways to contribute and help this team win. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, told Mike. No matter how many times you shoot and miss, we're going to keep getting the ball so he can shoot. But, you know, just the way he impacts the game offensively and defensively helps it out. And his communication leadership is big for us. How's the finger? Was it on a ball? Was it on – how did that happen late in the second? Uh, no, the finger's good, you know. I still play through it, so. Were you worried about that heading into the locker room and, and pleased uh, to know that everything was all right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. What do you think about, speaking of that, just bogey going out with that ankle injury – 
and gets back out onto the floor. And this is really the first time that an official game for him as yeah. a Jazz man. Uh, I mean, it just shows his toughness. You know, you know, he's willing to win and do whatever he got to do for us to compete. And he's a tough guy, so you know, we're gonna get him right. You guys talked about it, a shoot-around, competitive mindset and unselfishness. Do you get the sense that all the guys on this team have the same definition of those two things? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, nobody cares who's scoring the ball. You know, nobody cares what's going on. We're just going to keep playing as a team to the end. Guys, that's Royce O'Neal. Let's go back to you. There you go. That was Royce O'Neal. Uh, who left the game in the first half with a, a finger issue. Bojan Bogdanovic also left the game in the first half after uh, turning an ankle. He came back, however, finished the game with 16 points in a gritty performance, really got off to a nice start and had this to say after the game. I mean, I stepped on a, on a foot. I, I don't even know who was there. I think Gallinari or some other other player from, from OKC. I thought in the first moment that it's it's gonna be it's gonna be even worse. I was mad because of second quarter of, of home opener, so get to locker and try to try to move around to stay to stay warm. And then I I said to to medical staff that I will that I will I will try to to play first couple of minutes to see how it is. And then with this great great atmosphere that we have today, it's kind of getting me into, and I didn't wanna. I wanted to stay actually to play whole game. What at what point did you feel like okay now I can trust it? It's where it needs to be. I think first couple of minutes I, I just try I tried to run up and down and, and not attack so much because I didn't know how I'm gonna f- how I'm gonna fail if I go all the way into the to the basket and then uh, then I spent two three minutes running up and down and then uh, I tried to I tried to attack and see how is my ankle. Fortunately, I missed first couple of shots, but like I said, the great, great atmosphere got me into the game, and I, I wanted to stay. So you felt like it was adrenaline that really helped with that pump from the crowd. If I'm, uh, if I'm I think so. I think so, and also it's it's, it's home opener. Maybe it was it, this happened like in game six or seven. I I might I might stay in the locker room. So <laughs> <laughs> how you feeling now, though? I mean, it's kind of sore. I will see tomorrow morning how MRI is gonna gonna go, and then I will go from there. You looked really aggressive out there. How would you describe your comfort level to start this game and do the offense? Great. I mean, started the game pretty well. Whole team responded. Responded great. We played great defense first, first quarter. So we were we were all over the all over the floor. And and, and like I said, second quarter they, they hurt us a little bit on a, on a defensive glass. We needed to to help more our our bigs, but. Uh, it's not going to be pretty always, but the most important that, that we get is W. Quinn praised your clutch performances. You made a few baskets there in the early fourth quarter that really kind of turned the game, I think. Um, well, kind of talk to us about your clutch performance. How do you feel in that point? I mean, I don't know how clutch I was. I missed the wide open tree. That that <laughs> that would be that would be clutch. But like I say, I just I just try to stay stay aggressive to see how my foot's gonna gonna respond and and thanks God at the end we get this W. That's most important, like I said. Offensively, you feel like things are set up in a way where the job can be simplified to get you what you need or to get the offense what it needs. I think that. All of us, all of us are pretty unselfish players. So we we moved the ball pretty well. Once again, we didn't shoot we didn't shoot well from a, from a three, and that's that's also great when we are not shooting shooting well that we are we are getting getting Ws. This is the first game you've had a chance regular season to be on the floor with Donovan Mitchell. Uh, what was the experience like watching him with clutch moments, big baskets to put the game away, big rebounds, and, and just being all over the floor the way he was? Listen, he's he's all star. I hope that he gonna he gonna make it this season. He's he's our our leader, 
one of the best one of the best players backcourt players in a, in a league so i hope that he's going to lead us for to great things this this season guys that's boyan bogdanovic let's go back to you all right that was boyan bogdanovic with his 16 points on 6 of 14 shooting let's now go to rudy gobert i think we we had a great defensive first quarter too and second actually the third wasn't great uh, we made a few mistakes, but uh, we got back at, in the fourth, and uh, we knew that if we wanted to win this game, we, we had to, to guard, guard people, and we did. What was it defensively when you guys got control of this thing? What were the little things that made that different? Uh, everything, you know, running back in transition, uh, rebound, communication, and then just just play defense and compete. And uh, I think we did, a, we did a great job. You know, they, this is a very, I think, talented team, and... Uh, aggressive team and we were able to keep them under, under 100. You said with the preseason numbers it felt weird to have the defense be like that. This feel more like uh, you expect it to be? Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, definitely. We we knew that. Like I said, we'd rather have that in the preseason than early in the season. And uh, It's just one game, but you know, we, we worked hard the whole week and uh, we're going to continue to work hard. and. You know, we're going to bring it every night. There's a lot of guys who have put in that work that you're talking about that most Jazz fans have not seen in a regular season situation. Emmanuel Moutier tonight really seemed to show that he's taken very seriously the coaching that's happened and being a part of this organization. Definitely, and he's, he's a big part of what we do. And tonight, he, you know, he, he had some great minutes off the bench, and we need that. You know, we need to be a 40-minute team, and, you know, I think that's what we're going to be. Only allow them to score 34 points in the paint tonight. That's obviously very different than what the preseason was like. Was that? Was that you guys? Was that? Was that? Sorry. Was that you? Was that the perimeter? I mean, kind of. How did? How did that improve? Everything. Uh, besides Joe, all the guys did great. But uh, no, definitely uh, it was everyone. You know, we just on mindset. I think we 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 had more urgency from the beginning. We. We had a few mistakes, but there was only short times. You know, we cut them short, so it's going to happen here and there. But we run back in transition. We we got hits on the on the boards, uh, and uh, we're good. We're disciplined. We fouled a lot, but I think uh, some of them could have been not fouled. But you know, we we got to keep getting better at it, showing our hands and and being vertical. But good good defensive game. What is it like to have you uh, next to Bogey and, and Royce as kind of the other defensive forwards um, in, in that lineup? I mean, everyone, the, the good thing is everyone is, is competing. You know, uh, I mean, obviously Royce is a very good defender. Bogey, I think, can get multiple positions too. And uh, when everyone is competing and, and, and focused on what we have to do and on, on the game plan, you know, I think uh, we're going we're gonna to have a lot of those nights and even better nights defensively. Mike said that he's had to change other good habits that he had in Memphis and learn other new good habits here in Utah. How do you feel like he's been coming along with that and, and the communication between you two? I feel like it's, it's been better and better every day and every game. You know, it's like I said many times, it's not easy for when you had the same habits for 12 years, you know, to, to change in a, in a week, in a few weeks. So, you know, it's, it's taking time, but, you know, he's a smart, smart player and he's able to to adapt pretty quick and like I said every game has been better defensively. All right guys that's Rudy Gobert. Let's go back to you. 
There you go. That's Rudy Gobert, who in 38 minutes had uh, seven points. He did have 14 boards and a block shot, had 12 of those rebounds uh, by halftime. They're going to rely on him a lot to rebound that basketball. All right, let's let you now hear from the man of the hour or the night, whatever you want to say. Donovan Mitchell, 32 points on 14 of 22 shooting, 12 rebounds, and had this to say after the game. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we, we did a lot of good things on the defensive end. Um, offensively, got a little bit a little stagnant. You know, they hit some shots. Um, <clears throat> just want to give a shout out to Shea Alexander. You know, he's improved this game. You know, he's 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 going to be tough. You know, I think a lot of people are sleeping on him, but, you know, he, he got off. You know, I think that he really kept him in it at times. You know, I think that was that was huge. But, you know, for us to persevere and, and, and push back was, was huge. Tell us, let's take us through your fourth quarter. How, how are you feeling? Um, just attack. You know, I think, like I said, like I've always been saying, you know, when you have teammates that trust you, coaches that trust you with the ball, it really makes you, it easy to come, keep going and, you know, making the right plays, you know, whether it's getting to the rim or finding Royce on the three, just making the right play. And I think that's one thing I've really put a lot of emphasis on is keeping it simple and not really doing too much. There's a lot of talk about clutch plays that tie the game or take the lead, but just how valuable is it to have clutch plays that, you know, get that two-possession lead late and things like that? You know, one of the most clutch plays of the game was Joe's box out when I got the rebound um, on the air ball. You know, on Steven Adams, I think those those plays that go on, like really go unnoticed to, to the common fan really stick out. You know, we don't get that rebound. Uh, who knows what may happen? You know, I think um, – <clears throat> Excuse me, at the time we ran the transition, even though Boyan missed it, I set a screen like E finding him. Um, Royce hitting a big three. You know, I think those are the plays that I think um, it's easy to say, oh, the shot at the end or the free throws. But, you know, the shots like that that put you up for it, to put them in a position where they have to call a timeout and then make a play and drop a play and being able to get stops, I think was huge. What were the details that went into those clutch defensive possessions that helped? Uh, I think locking into the game plan. You know, it did a good job of it. You know, obviously Adams, a big time on the boards. I think Adams is one of the best offensive rebounders in the game. But, you know, we all gained rebound help big fell out down there and just tried our best to, to will our way to that win. It's only the first game of the season. you got 81 more to go. However, like just now we look to the next game. So how do you kind of use whatever you learn tonight to get to uh, your next um, I think, game? you know, the biggest thing for us is just continuing to, to push. You know, this wasn't a perfect defensive game, but this was way better than what we did in the preseason. You know, so now we got to take it to another level. I think another level, no, excuse me, another level, but for longer. You know, I think that's going to be the biggest thing. And when you have a guy like AD and guys like AD and Brown over there, it's going to test our defense. We got to be able to stay locked in and continue to build from it. You expect that out of Mike, a guy who ends up one of sixteen or whatever it was, but still finding ways to contribute and be a productive player. I, I, I tell you, about it, I, we talked about it earlier. Like you know, we haven't been our best offensively one time. You know, in the what five games, six. Games games we played we see it in practice all the time so when it does it's going to be scary now he's got to you know I think our defense will us. and where we go six of 24 from the three-point line I think that's and we, we still one by five that puts a lot of pressure on our defense and we stepped up you know I stepped when we have eats it helps when you have him down there changing alternate shots but we all stepped up it looked way different than we did in the preseason and Mike's not Mike's not going to keep doing it like you know like we we're not we're not worried about that I don't think he's worried about it he made two the two free does the clutch free does at the end and when like I said when we all start clicking it's going to take some time but you know is only one game, and I've had games like that, plenty of them. So I don't think he's he's too worried about it. The Landers lost uh, the first game, so you got to go in there, try to. They're not going to try to lose two in a row. Is there a certain kind of mindset you have to have to make it to? We got to just focus on us, you know. Whether they won or lost, we can't go in there and say, "Oh, they're going to be extra excited." You know, it's their home opener. You know, it's it's LA. You know, they're going to be geeked up for it. But we got to just stay locked in and do what we do, and pick up our defense, and everything else will, will be fine. You feel like oh, go ahead. End of the first half, you uh, the kind of the play on the dunk. Uh, you you have the ball with 16 seconds left. They pre-switch. What are you seeing on that play? That. Um, 
I don't like going back to my own highlights, but you know the play with Luca. I'll give you an explanation. Remember the play with Luca last year? I drove by him and the Mavericks and dunked it. It's it's really like kind of similar like that. You know, just being able to find a mismatch and just attack. You know, and it helps when you have him down there because now the big has to decide. You know, does he come up and help? Does he stay with Rudy? And that's that indecision. So for me, it's just about seeing that. You know, and then slowing, like I said, slowing the game down and just being able to process that. You know, last year I don't think I would have saw that as early. I think I, this year I'm starting to find things like that and find the spacing. When you end up on the floor the way you were in that situation where you need you know, big plays at the end of the games, you still feel the sense that there's more space for you to work with now? Like, and then, uh, not to be critical of previous, I'm just no, saying yeah, now on the right. floor. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, I think, you know, it makes the reads a little bit easier, you know, like you said, not to be critical of guys over here, I love those guys, you know, and they play hard, but it's just, Boyan shot, what? 37% from three, and Mike shot about 36, you know, and then you have Royce, who's consistently building his percentage, and you have Joe out there, and then the Rudy threat, so it, it makes it makes my life easier, making the right play, making the right decision, you know, as far as supposedly trying to force things. Now, you feel like this team has that right, perfect mixture of poise, patience, and urgency yes. all mixed together. We have guys, the right amount of guys that are back from last year, and understand we got to a slow start last year, you know, understand that we need to, or we need defense to win. We also have guys that are coming in here and saying we understand the routine um, of just being in the league and how to, and how to persevere through win and through games like this and then get wins. Guys, that's Donovan Mitchell. Let's go back to you. That was Donovan Mitchell. His season certainly off to a terrific start as the Jazz beat the Thunder 100-95 behind 32 points and 12 rebounds from Donovan. DJ and PK will continue to break this one down coming up next right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. There's the best of the postgame show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are on the way. Stay with us.